My name is Miriam Simoon. I'm an artist. Uh, I work across mediums, including video and installation, a lot with sensorial experience and with writing. And I grew up in Boston. My name is Farida Amar, and I'm the creative director of Forecast Journal. The piece is called Transhumanist Cephalopod Evolution, which is a body of work and a movement that I started when I was at the MIT Media Lab. It's my proposal for the future evolution of humanity, where we have a model uh, of a cephalopod. So the Transhumanist Cephalopod Evolution is a it's a training program, it's a video work, it's a series of installations and drawings, and this, including this writing piece that outlines how humans might evolve themselves to deal with um, rising seas and kind of an onrush of general ecological crisis and rapid technological change. So we train three main cephalopodic uh, abilities, so embodied and tactile intelligence, shape-shifting ability, and distributed intelligence. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, this is a movement I do. So I go around the world at this point teaching these workshops uh, called also Transhuman and Cephalopod Evolution. And so the, the written piece is kind of an introduction to the philosophy behind the movement, an introduction to some of the skills and attitudes that we have um, that we attempt to train and why we choose the cephalopod as the model for the future of the human, right? So I was at the Media Lab, a place that uh, in the U.S. is kind of known for being a harbinger of the future. Um, and what I was finding is across technology, strong uh, spaces and communities, often the model for the future of the human is a computer, Right, a lot of thinking around like AI and how do we meld human and machine. This is a myth or a model. I really equate the two as being somewhat the same, uh, or or functioning similarly in our imaginations. And my proposal was, well, I'm not sure I want to become a machine, and rather maybe we have something to learn from cephalopods which are one of the oldest species on earth. They're twice as old as the dinosaurs and they are still around. Um, so when thinking about both ecological crisis or you know, fears around singularity, how do we think about long-term survival and what do we have to learn from this non-human, non-mammal species? So one of the things that I find really interesting about cephalopods is they kind of break the Cartesian divide, right? So a lot of Western ideas, science, philosophy is very much based on is maybe too strong of word, but uh, stems a lot from this Descartes idea that the body and the mind are two separate, are, are, can, can be separated. And if we look to kind of the common use of the word transhumanism, or let's say like the one that's more in the cultural imagination now, it's kind of been co-opted by the singularists. So you have these ideas around uploading the brain to the internet, um, living forever in this way, which makes a claim then that if you take my brain out of my body and upload it to the internet, that will still be me. Um, and I'm not so sure about that premise. And cephalopods are really interesting because it's really difficult to pinpoint where is brain and where is body? So if you open a neuroscience textbook, the first thing that you'll learn is 
there's a central nervous system, so the brain in my head, and then going down the center of my spine, and then the peripheral nervous system, right? So the all the nerves that go in the arms and the legs. And with cephalopods, that doesn't really apply. They kind of have neurons spread throughout their body, and yes, there are concentrations of ganglia in several places, um, but it's really hard to say with the same kind of definitude, this is brain and this is body. Uh, and they actually have uh, such concentration of ganglia in different arms and in the head that often it's said, oh, an octopus, for example, that has eight arms, it has nine brains, right? One in each arm and one in the head. And there has, you know, it's been shown and seen by many people that uh, the arms appear to have different personalities, that an arm that's severed will con can continue to go and hunt and then just can't find a mouth to, to feed, right? So they can make uh, decisions independently of each other, even though they're in the same skin. And something that came up for me, especially when I was hanging out with a lot of cephal cephalopod husbandry experts, so those are the people in the aquariums or in the science labs that are taking care of the octopuses or cuttlefish, they would say to me again and again that it's interesting because they really do seem to have different personalities with different arms. Like one arm will always be hiding in the tank, kind of shy. Another arm will always be the one to come and explore. And that really made me think maybe the right metaphor is not one animal with nine brains, but rather nine animals or nine organisms housed within a single skin. And this then made me think, okay, while humans, we do have this pretty centralized nervous system. And yes, while we have really rudimentary neurons in our ankles, for example, that can make quick decisions about stepping uh, without that information traveling to the brain, um, and of course, we have a lot of neurons in our gut that we are just beginning to understand how that works. Something that was actually really exciting to me is it, the thought that actually maybe it takes more than one human body, as we like to think about it now, kind of a body in case of skin, to become uh, kind of the human of the future, right? So then the proposal becomes, how do we enter into a state of distributed intelligence? So how does more than one human kind of become a single organism for some period of time where we can distribute our decision making and, you know, there's no hierarchy, there's not a leader and follower, but rather there's kind of super organism that emerges out of our intense communication with each other. And this kind of higher order of intelligence that arises out of all of the different brains kind of sensing and, and acting on the world in tandem together. Well, first of all, I mean, cephalopods are living mostly underwater. Sometimes they can crawl out for, for periods of time, but mostly they're in the water. So the, one of the kind of first tasks, if we want to become cephalopods, is to get comfortable with how we can be underwater. And I got really excited when I started learning how to free dive, um, because basically when I started thinking about, okay, how do humans adapt ourselves to live with rising seas? How do we get more comfortable living in and under the sea? I understood that there's actually a super long history of humans diving quite deep in all these crazy mythologies around like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And so first I started looking to ancient cultures. So there's like the Ama in Japan, the Hainyo in Korea. These are largely women-led uh, deep diving traditions that are tens of thousands or thousands of years old. And these kind of changes were brought about by training, right? So there's something really interesting to me in framing training as a technology. 
So through doing a practice multiple, multiple times, you can actually develop new uh, skills and abilities. Similarly, so just as I can take scuba gear, which is like this technology and attach it to myself to go down underwater, actually, I can also train my body with the existing bioavailabilities it has to do some of the same things. The conceptual space artistic scholar Miriam Samoon is carving out in transhumanist cephalopod evolution exists between the human body, non-human life, and the use of performance and technology as translator. She is both learning from and teaching her audience how to comprehend existence beyond biological limitations and how to find freedom in the form of endless physical potentials through enhanced multi-sensory environments. When selecting artwork to complement transhumanist cephalopod evolution, I searched for something simultaneously generative and analog, something wherein the artist surrenders control over at least part of the creative process to technology, something which allows for the expansion of what is possible and which presents beauty from randomness. After extensive research, Montreal-based fine artist Vicky Vanianpa emerged as the only logical choice. The pieces published in Forecast Journal issue 10 were pulled from Vicky's ongoing series, Soft Body Dynamics, which she describes as a formal investigation into abstraction. Each of these painstakingly tedious oil paintings featured tubular forms, seemingly in motion, whose shape was predetermined by 3D modeling software. In a sort of automated line drawing technique, the software randomly generates a set number of splines per day from which Vicky selects her favorites to take through to final compositions. Computer-assisted abstraction reconsiders the fundamental role of the line, the stroke, the gesture, and the artist's hand. Hinting at a networked reality, abstraction reveals many underlying truths about life and the logic and order of things. Vicky has a section on her website called Text, where you can read about the thinking behind her work, and I've read and reread her thoughts over and over. If you're interested in chasing formlessness, absolute nothingness, and total non-order as a gateway for unlocking ultimate, underlying structures of the universe, or if you are curious about artist-machine and machine-artist relationships, I highly recommend getting to know Vicky Vanianpa.